busy show ahead. Um, since we have, well, Sunday was a crazy day. First of all, Grey Cup. Uh, also, Formula One title race, which was absolutely crazy. Um, and some parting thoughts on the MLS season. And um, yeah, it's pretty much it. It's a week before the Christmas break. So uh, yeah, we'll just get right started with the Grey Cup. 21. Uh, we had the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan. Sorry, no. Okay, okay. I immediately screwed up. Uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, Rough Riders played the Blue Bombers in the Western Finals. It was a great game. It was honestly everything you would want and expect from the Grey Cup. Plus, because it it went to overtime. And if you know the CFL or the NCAA, you know the shootout-style overtime that they do. Um, very entertaining there. There was a point where it really, really seemed like Hamilton was going to win. And in front of the home crowd, you know, the it would have just been a, it's such a special moment to end, that, to end that drought, which is all of a sudden quickly approaching 25, 30 years here. And they couldn't win at home. It's it's troubling to see that because you you at the start of look look at the start of that final drive, which was a pretty good one for the Tiger Cats. They they took a knee in the end zone, which gave uh, Winnipeg a rouge, which is a one point, which went them up one nothing. If you had just caught it and ran, then this is a totally different story. They were talking about Hamilton winning the Grey Cup. Because maybe you get to the 25, the 30, that's just as good field position as you got even with a knee. And you are uh, now you are down by two, right? So a touchdown would win. I, I don't understand why they said... No, sorry. Not even a touchdown. A field goal would win. But now you're down three. And you know you're going to run out the clock on this drive. And they, they pretty much did. And they killed themselves like that. That has to be a call from the sidelines from Orlando Steinauer. Who said he was extremely disappointed in the postgame. But that has to be a call from Orlando Steinauer. And I... I don't know how he thinks that that's a good idea. Like, honestly, I don't know. Because that... Setting yourself back that late into the Grey Cup, washing away an opportunity for Michael Domagala to seal it in the final seconds. Uh, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I can't support that style of play. That's... I, I, I don't even, like, were they trying to queue up this dramatic finish or something where Brandon Banks goes to the end zone? I mean, they almost got it because Masoli threw to Jalen Acklin, but it, he, I mean, the defense on that play, he, he was going up against Jalen Acklin, where he could have caught the game-winning touchdown. Um, you know, there was no interference, it's like no pass interference all game. Um, it, it was, it was weird because the, like, it took so long to call pass interference. There was like only a 
only a few, and one was like an offensive one in the end zone, and that was on on Winnipeg, and that was like the most that that was like the first in a very long time. But Gerald Nacklin, he could have caught that. It just he was in the air, bobbled off his hands. It's an easy mistake to make. Plus, you have the nerves of being in the Grey Cup. They had to settle for a field goal. And that made it 25-25. It could have been 25-24. And all of a sudden, all of it means nothing in the end. You know, saying that you're proud of your players this year is, is one thing when you're talking to the media. Actually, saying it to the players is another thing. I the 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 Tiger Cats did struggle this year. I there was there was a lot like they sure they didn't get a home game until Labor Day, but that's not an excuse to say, you know, we can't like that's why we didn't win. That's why we didn't get the number one seed. Even if they had got the number one seed and a home. Semi-final. I'm not even sure if they would have won the Great Cup because it's it has no effect. Even if they had played Montreal or Toronto at home in the semifinal, I I don't see how that would help. So eight and six in the regular season, beat Montreal at home in a weird like climate game. It was like snowing and then it was raining. It was a strange game, and then they beat Toronto at on the Lakeshore, obviously chaos ensues afterwards with some of the Argonauts players like fighting the Tiger Cats fans, which is crazy. I mean, got a guy fired like that. That's actually that's absolute like buffoonery. That's so stupid on the fans' part. Like just just leave them alone. They had a tough loss. I mean, now you know. Guess what's gonna happen? Now you were at home. And you lost the Grey Cup at home. So now fans are going to, you know, players are going to go after you. Like, you're no, in against Toronto in the moment, you're better than them. But at the end of the day, you're no better than the Argonauts because you both didn't win the Grey Cup. Um, and if the Argonauts had won that game, they wouldn't win the Grey Cup because they do have flaws. And Winnipeg seemingly doesn't. Two Grey Cups in three years, that is technically back-to-back championships for them. It's a, it's an interesting feat that I don't think we've ever seen before and I don't think we'll ever see again, but you never know. Um, a lot of build-up before the game, considering that this is a rematch, but, you know, it's it still ends the way that it did in 2019. That was a Blue Bombers win, which by the end of the game, it was immaculate, or sorry, it was um, it was inevitable that the Blue Bombers would win. It was obvious because this team could not lose. Like they lost a couple of games this season, but they can't lose, and they can't lose to an eight and six team. Um, Including the playoffs, ten and six. They they deserved all of it, and they defended the cup. Um, you know Zach Zach Kolaris, It's interesting because he won Most Outstanding Player in the regular season. 
right? He he did not play that well in the Grey Cup. Like he he didn't. And I have nothing against Zach Lars. It's an amazing story. But two interceptions, especially in a key time like that, and one was converted into a touchdown. Like that's 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 not a MOP type play. Uh, so the defense for Winnipeg was the outstanding thing here. It was it, it had to adapt because Dane Evans got injured. Uh, he's got a huge neck injury, and then Jeremiah Masoli had to come in, and they had to adapt to the game and adapt to the change in the offense. And um, and look where they are now. Adam Big Hill had a phenomenal game stopping the run. Uh, and even though Don Jackson had a dominant performance, Adam Big Hill had a great, great game. Um, the, the defensive backs had a good night. I think... I think the receivers as well, because on a lot of second and long plays that were forced by the Ticats, great defensive line, um, ended up being big plays to, you know, Kenny Lawler or any one of the receiving core. Winnipeg, although they were down, and although a lot of people said, you know, when it was... um, when it was, what, 22-10? Yeah, it was 22-10. A lot of people said, um, you know, Hamilton's winning on home soil. They can't, they have to break the drought on home soil. Like, there's no way that they don't. Winnipeg just proved to be the better football team. All day, they proved to be the better football team. And especially in overtime, a great drive in that shootout style overtime, and obviously the most one of the most dramatic finishes in you know in the recent history of the Grey Cup, maybe the most because it goes off the hands of a defensive of a Winnipeg defensive back, and then off the hands of Brandon Banks, and then it's picked off, and then that seals it. And the bench comes running out, and that that ended it for Hamilton, who now, every time that they play a home game, and this is not good for them, because they have play a lot of important home games. Like they play they usually play Labor Day at home. They sometimes they play things well, they play the Thanksgiving game at home this year. But for a team that is so good at home, consistently so good at home. And consistently plays a lot of big games at home. Now, that team, that staff, that whole organization is going to walk out on Tim Horton's field and just think of when they failed. It's it's easy like for, for them to think that. Because for a game as big as the Grey Cup, for a game that means so much to the city, um, you know, they they can't, they, they won't be able to help but think the time that they failed in front of a 95% Hamilton crowd sold out on uh, December 12th, 2021. 
Or at least that's what I think because the thing is with athletes, especially some of them, like the football players, like, you know, they said that when Tampa Bay won it, won the Super Bowl on, on home soil. Every time they look back out into that stadium, they're just going to think of the time that they couldn't do it, that they just could not go all the way. And that's troubling. It's not good for Hamilton fans, and especially since those guys are so loyal. And there's just, they're, they're some of the best fans in football, like, period. Um, and it's unfortunate for them, really. Like, that's, it's a lot of money to go to a Grey Cup game. But you know what? They got a great game. They got, you know, I wouldn't say a full 60 minutes from both teams because, once again, the tie, like, the... So Winnipeg got seven points off two field goals and a rouge in the first quarter. So it was kind of Winnipeg's first quarter, Hamilton's second, Hamilton's third, Winnipeg's fourth, and overtime. So it was really kind of split. Each team put in 30 minutes but they got overtime and, you know, a great performance by the Arkells as well. Got to mention that they did great considering the, you know, the, the limited space. Uh, that is a great cup halftime show. Like you, just because of the budget, you can't do too much. They did an amazing job. They got the crowd going. Um, the lead singer was a Max Kerman. That, that's a, that's a lead singer, right? I, I, some, something like that, I think. It's not good that I can't remember uh, this. But he was on the broadcast and um, probably should have stayed because when he was on, the Ticats were doing pretty damn good. And then he left and Rod Black, uh, who shouted to him first time calling the Grey Cup, uh, did a wonderful job. And uh, they probably should have kept him on they wanted the tire cast to win. So, yeah, great game. Great season for the CFL. Successful. Obviously, questions will... There's a lot of questions as to, you know, four downs, the whole, you know, potent, experimenting with four downs and stuff like that. And, you know, there's an eternal debate. Like, is that good for the game? Will you... Will you use lose the fans if you do that? Like the real Canadian fans, it's it's tough. But the CFL is going, I think, into a very very good period of time where they can potentially be a very successful league. Make the right changes. Don't make the bad ones. You know, not having four downs is something that makes the game Canadian. And you you don't want to lose that. Like, you don't want to become an American football league. It's the Cana- Canadian Football League. So, plus, you know, we have 108 slash 109, depending on how you think about it, years of Grey Cup history. Let, let, let's keep that history. Let's not, you know, have to put asterisks beside teams because the rules were changed and 2025 or whatever, and then every team before that, um, you know, had to had to have an asterisk like that. Let's not do that. Let's keep it as our game, um, and hopefully that 
carries on into the future. Next year, the betting favorites have to be Winnipeg for the Grey Cup because, honestly, they have staying power, right? You can't argue with them having so many All-Stars. They cleaned up at the awards. Hamilton, honestly, I'm not sure I believe in next year. I think the playoffs are going to look a lot like they did this past year. Ottawa's not going to make it. Um, Edmonton might with a new front office, but I, I don't think they will. BC is a chance, but the way that the Stampeders rounded off their season and really and took on the Rough Riders at home, um, I, I'm in the just in Saskatchewan, I should say. That's that that they look like a scary team, and especially with that um, their Canadian QB. It's not Nathan Rourke. I I can't remember CFL names. Like I can remember a lot of NFL names, but I can't remember. CFL names, but they got a Canadian QB. Great for PR for them. Um, and Bo Levi Mitchell did get injured this season, so we actually got some good playing time. So I think the playoff picture is going to be the same, but I do think that BC can be a lot more competitive. Uh, let's go right to Formula One. Formula One, Max Verstappen. Wins the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, Grand Prix, and he wins the Formula One World Championship. I hope that everyone watched the race because, <clears throat> sorry, the, the the race was crazy, and I I went into it and I went into the race with with a fear that it wouldn't meet my expectations, with a fear. That, you know, Lewis or Max, one of them wasn't going to win. They weren't going to finish 1-2. They were going to finish like 5-6 or like 3-7 or just something really bogue that did not please. It was the opposite. However, you know, it's hard. Everyone has has a different view of what a perfect race is. Controversy is good, but controversy of that proportion that we saw in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I I don't like that. That's, you know, people are going to say and have viable proof now that Max Verstappen, that Lewis Hamilton was the world champion in 2021, that Max Verstappen did not win. And I I just, I don't like that. There, there, there should be a person or a team or whatever that wins, you know, that just that just wins and they win fairly they win you know it can be close but at the end of the day no one debates that they won because they were that good max was very good in 2021 i'm not denying that he had a phenomenal formula 1 season but you know mercedes obviously you know pretty much taking on Formula One, saying, like, what do you mean by doing that? It's just, it ma- it makes you question it. I'm so happy for Max because he was a very good driver in 2021. But, you know, the now F1 has to deal with this and they have to say, 
what you can do and what you can't do and what we can say and what we can't say. And they pretty much have to go through the entire... Because now there's a controversy throughout the whole offseason before the next Formula 1 season begins in, what, 97 days it is or something like that? It's under 100 because they said 98 days in the, at the Abu Dhabi on the broadcast. So I assume it's like 97 days now, probably 96 when you're listening to this. Point is, it's uh, higher than 90 and lower than 100. But the the Formula One doesn't want to deal with this. They don't want to have to, you know, look at the rule book and if and if they find that they were actually wrong and what they you know did they can't do. I mean, that's that is get they're getting into a lot of trouble, and then they go down this whole loophole because Mercedes and will sue and obviously threaten Formula One and Mercedes being the big one of the biggest teams in Formula One they don't want that um they they don't want to deal with this but now they have to and if one thing goes sideways for them I I don't like Lewis Hamilton now officially has a beef with F1 and he is their best racer of all time he, they don't want that. They don't want Mercedes to feel salty towards them. I mean, they're good with Red Bull, but Honda's leaving, right? So all of a sudden, I'm not saying that the season next that the next season is in flux. It's going to happen. But you know, which which teams? I'm not saying that Mercedes is going to rebrand or something, but. You know, which, because now, if Formula 1 does find out they're wrong, they pretty much owe Mercedes a championship. This descends into, if you owe Mercedes a championship, you can't, like, and you fix it, potentially, so Lewis can win, or even, I don't know, who's, um, George Russell? He's the Williams driver that's going there? Or if he wins, then you're face then you're in that problem. I don't see a viable way that Formula One can get around this. Obviously, unless everything goes right and it nothing does these days. If you know, Major League Baseball has taught us one thing over the past two years, and nothing can go right. Uh well, I, I mean, like, the lockout and the Astros scandal and stuff, then depend, Then it descends into, like, a five-year thing where it, it just... Everyone's focused on that, and they're going to get a lot of press. Obviously, you know, when they do get a lot of exposure, when they do get a lot of press, and which, I mean, Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, usually they do good, but this would not make them do good, okay? Like, this is... Uh, this is a serious uh, issue for the league and for Mercedes. Obviously, I feel so bad for Lewis because he deserved every part of that. There was a point where he was up for like 14 seconds on max, and he should have won. However, it was a storybook finish, but... Like, deep inside, I think I'm happy that it ended the way it did. 
Because even if it's all mired in controversy, it ends with best of one lap, Lewis versus Max. Head-to-head, best of one lap. And I think people are going to look back on this Formula One season and say it's one of the best ever, if not the best. And the fact that it ended with the two best drivers going at it, like literally starting at the same place, going at the same speed, fighting all the way, is it's it's magnificent. It's fantastic. I can't help but feel bad for Lewis. I can't help but feel good for Max. Um, this is the first person that isn't English or German to win since Kimi Räikkönen, right? Um, that was a while ago. And Kimi, unfortunately, in his last race, had to retire. Um, he just couldn't get the speed from his engine. A lot of retires, actually, and we'll have to kind of run through them. So, first of all, both the Alfa, Alfa Romeo drivers, Sergio Perez retired, but he he was the ultimate team player. He bought a lot of time for Max. Max couldn't deliver until the end, but Sergio Checo, Chico, he's such a, you can tell, you can tell that Red Bull operates in a way that there's no beefs between the drivers, there's no competition between the two drivers, when someone who has a very good chance at winning, you know, does something like that, and I'm sure they told him, like, please do this, because it could really help, but they're grateful for each other and they do a lot of things to help each other. So, you know, Sergio, ultimate team play, amazing defense on Lewis before Lewis passed him. Wow, just a crazy race. Also, yeah, George Russell in his final race before joining Mercedes from Williams has to retire. And then you have Latifi. In this English Latifi, who's from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, it's it's interesting because there's there's a big Canadian connection in this. Nicholas Latifi from Canada crashes his car, brings the safety car out, which leads to Max and Lewis going head to head, which leads to Max winning the Formula One World Championship. So if you look at it this way. A Canadian um, pretty much helped a, a Dutchman win win it all, win the uh, world championship. And that's, for me, as someone who likes to find Canadian connections and stuff, that, that, that's amazing. I, I, think, I think it's a great story, um, you know, how... You know, the the lowly Williams driver, Nicholas Latifi, who had like, he had seven points in the Formula One season, crashes his car to help someone win a title that they weren't really supposed to win. At least in that race, they weren't supposed to win. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I I like that aspect. Obviously, Latifi's fine, or else I wouldn't really like that aspect. But, um... It's it's a cool story. It, it was a it was a storybook finish. Uh, Lewis had to come back to be there, 
and he was on his A game. But there were a lot of points in the season. If you go race by race, like if you did a survey every race among people who watch F1, a lot, like a lot would say, you know, Max was the better uh, driver. And by the way, driver of the day was actually, because it's voted by the fans, uh, they actually, they voted Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen to win it, which was amazing. I, I think, like, you know, that shows you that Formula One fans are really passionate, that they really care when they vote driver of the day to someone who retired first, but it was his last race. Um, amazing for our driver. And next year, there's a lot of moves. Um, there's a lot of open seats. Uh, the person who won Formula 2 is probably coming in. He was actually at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And we have already have uh, Valtteri Bottas leaving um, Mercedes for Alfa Romeo. And then, as I said, uh, George Russell comes in, so which means there's an open spot at Williams. Uh, crazy stuff. Formula 1 offseason... All, lot, always a lot of switches, but it's it's usually quiet because all the switches happen during the season. So, uh, yeah, I guess some parting thoughts on the MLS are next. And, um, yeah, and then we'll wrap up the show. Um, MLS Cup Final, fantastic match. Portland scored in the last minute of play. Obviously, went to penalties. Sean Johnson from New York City FC, the goalie, the hero in uh, in 2021 for the Citizens. And we're not really going to talk about that, though, although it was amazing atmosphere. It was all just... It, it all adds up at the end of the day to be one of the you know best MLS Cup finals that we've got. Um, in terms of atmosphere, it definitely was. And, um, you know... The the teams got there because of upsets, because of drama, and it ends that way in another upset because I don't I obviously I said that Portland was going to win the MLS Cup and and here I was here I was and I was and I was thinking, damn I I I said they were gonna win the MLS Cup I was I I came so so close and 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 before the game. I was thinking, oh, they're playing at home. Oh, they're playing against New York City FC. They're going to win. So, you know, we're, we're going to go three thoughts about the MLS season and three thoughts going into next season. So, like, about next season. Um, okay, thought number one. So, uh, so, six and 12. Thought number one for this season. I think this season was phenomenal for many reasons, but phenomenal mostly because it signified the rise of soccer in North America. Obviously, we saw Canada and the U.S. finish 1-2 in the octagon um, ahead ahead of at the end of 2021. There's obviously still, still games in 2022, but they did finish the top of the octagon, setting up like a, mar- a marquee game in Hamilton, uh, this March, I believe. Uh, so fans returned to stadiums 
as well. There, more people started watching. More people started going to the games. I know I did. I went to the Canadian Championship semifinal in Toronto between TFC and Pacific. Not an MLS game, but still an amazing experience. People are, you know, really, really starting to pay attention. Really starting to uh, love soccer. I think that can be said for a lot of people, and especially me. I re- I really, I got into soccer, you know, at the Euros. But I did not think before the summer that I was going to, you know, have the Euros, but then also, um, and then right after, MLS really, you know, kind of ignited the passion of soccer for me. And, uh, okay, thought number two uh, on the season, it was, it was... Oh, and also just one last quick thing to say. Uh, a lot of new stadiums were built as well so and opened. So that shows a lot of investment in the game as well from American owners. And obviously, well, Dave Beckham building his new one. Thought number two, we had amazing performances up and down. We saw... A lot of players score a lot of great goals, big goals. And we, we, we're seeing a lot of U.S. and Canadian stars really making their mark. We're seeing a lot more people and players who played in Mexico or in Europe be signed by MLS teams or just voluntarily go to MLS teams. And we might actually talk about that in the looking at a 2022 two part but we saw a lot of guys like um Luis Araujo for uh for Atlanta come over and by the way Atlanta's like four of the five most expensive um transfers in MLS history are from Atlanta United and they their first season was 2018 like that that's ridiculous that's crazy um so yeah, that's a so we saw a lot of great players either come over or start taking notes. We saw a lot of players that were already great in MLS really start to step it up and have amazing performances. Thought number three, it ended in drama and it was a very dramatic season. Decision day was crazy. We had obviously we had the Wild West. The East was also a pretty, like, the East, I think, was very underrated in the sense that there was a lot of, uh, obviously more in the West, but, you know, there was a lot of uh, drama in the East, a lot of who will make it, who won't type of uh, type of things, and obviously in, once we reached the playoffs in the West, Kind of did prove itself as the Wild West since the number the number seven seed Real Salt Lake beat the two seed Seattle and three seed Sporting Kansas City. But I will say this about all Cinderella teams like Real Salt Lake or you know Loyola Chicago. Sometimes they always end up losing. They never win, and they they never win because there's you run out of magic and. If you're a Cinderella team, 
it means you weren't that good. You weren't necessarily ranked that high or performed that well. So at the end of the day, if you weren't that great, you're not going to end up winning. That was the case for Real Salt Lake when they ran out of magic against the Timbers. But, you know, upsets. New York City FC beat New England Revolution. Um, other than that, not much in the East. I mean, look, Red Bulls, Red Bulls went toe and toe. They nearly went to penalties with Philadelphia Union there. Could have been an upset there. Alas, there wasn't. Um, so, like, kind of one in the East. I mean, technically, if we're talking actual upsets in terms of seeding, um, NYCFC did beat Philadelphia at uh, in at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. So technically, that was an upset uh, against you know Andre Blake. Great goalie matchup in that game, but um, it ends with upsets. Now going into twenty twenty two, we have a new team in Charlotte, uh, Charlotte SC. So just one thought on them. First of all, I hate the Carolina jersey or whatever they're calling it. I hate it. It's not for me. I don't think it's good. I think the sponsor's too big and too high and uh, the, like the sleeves. And honestly, I like their logo and I like some of the branding that they've done so far. But that jersey just sucks. Like it's just not a good not a good kit to wear with the black sleeves you know it's 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 just it's just weird it just it just kind of messes me up you know but uh about charlotte they're attracting a lot of international talent they've signed like eight players so far seven are from different countries the only overlapping the united states which makes a lot of sense they got a player who was playing in the spanish second division all right think about that for a second and an, a team, an MLS team, who has never played a game before, signed a player who played in the Spanish second division. Like that—that's remarkable. That is remarkable. So, props to them on building a lineup and doing it right, getting a lot of diversity in there. Hopefully, it works. Sometimes having a, that many players from that many different. Countries doesn't work. It just kind of backfires just because you have a lot of potentially divided opinion. You can have strong locker room opinions, and that doesn't always end well. But um, hopefully for Charlotte, it works out. I hope they have a good year. They play LA Galaxy first in their first ever game. Honestly, LA Galaxy does not look the same, but they still have a very good team. Um, And that game is in Charlotte as well. So new team with a lot of diversity. Number two, uh, we're gonna have an early start, an early finish, but so so the summer is gonna be way more enticing. We start on February twenty fifth, and we end on November twenty first. I think it is. We end right in time for the World Cup. Is pretty much what I'm saying. MLS Cup final will be right in time for the World Cup, which means. If we just got, you know, October and September, well, October's, October might, some of it might be playoffs. So, you know, last week of August, last two weeks of August, maybe, 
We're talking about the playoffs. So the summer is going to be so important because previously, you know, we got the summer of soccer and MLS. That, that's what we call it. It's usually a blast to watch and go to uh, MLS games. Um, it's usually just kind of a fun thing to do, right? Because the players are, you know, at their best. The sun is out. Perfect setting. But this time, <clears throat> in the late in late summer, there's me some real, there's me some real um, fights, some real good games, and I cannot wait to watch those. Number three, we could see some teams that were kind of bad become pretty good. Obviously, Toronto FC is my case in point because they were they had you know obviously they had that dynasty in the late tw- mid to late 2010s like I don't know it's not really a dynasty I guess it's not really one because they didn't win three championships but you know they went to three MLS Cup finals in four years they won one of them they they did uh they won the supporters shield once and then they almost won it in 2020 so it just doesn't make sense. And they got off on the wrong foot having to play in Orlando. And at the end of the day, it, if, if you start playing in Florida and end playing in Toronto, that, that just doesn't work. That, and the, there's a lot of drama within the team. Um, it's like, hmm, I wonder why they stopped making all-for-one videos. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of drama and I think there's a lot of tenseness in the locker room hopefully Bob Bradley can fix that uh obviously his son Michael is the captain so I I I did look it up I I couldn't find anything saying that there was ever before a coach and captain coming from the same family like directly like son and father being coach and captain ever uh so that's pretty cool so We've already made history. <laughs> Would you look at that? Um, but now we've just got to put it on all in the field. Bob Bradley's a fantastic head coach. He should do amazing. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Austin FC is a real sleeper. They have an amazing fan base. Obviously, they got, they got the first pick. Like, uh, Jesus Ferreira, right? He can be pretty good. They they took on some good teams. Like, they were blown out a few times. And there was a time where they were absolutely collapsed against the San Jose Earthquakes, which you, that, you, like, you can't do that. Uh, collapse against the Earthquakes is, like, one of the biggest forms of humiliation. But they, uh, they still, you know, they still, they still took it to some teams. And they could have won a lot more games if they hadn't collapsed. But the, as, for a team that was in a that was their rookie season, you know, expansion side, right? Uh, they should have high hopes for next year. Uh, that you know, I don't think they really they didn't quit all year, which for a team that you know, I I think they really do love the game and they they love to play and they want and they really want to show the fans something good and you know give something back 
right? Uh, to the fans who put their loyal time, money, whatever it is, into the sport, invest in the team, right? And I think they're a sleeper candidate. Um, CF Montreal has a good chance of making the playoffs because one, they won the Canadian Championships. So that's an automatic bid to the CONCACAF Champions League. They start the season at Olympic Stadium, which is weird. I'm so confused at why they're playing their first home game at Olympic Stadium, which is obviously, like, literally a few hundred meters away from their stadium. It's, like, in the same area. I'm, like, not, it's, it's not even down the street, because e- there's not even a street that separates them. Obviously, unless you were to go onto the street and waste time, but... Instead of just going right down a little path in Olympic Park in Montreal. But, um, yeah, they, I won't consider them a bad team, but they did miss the playoffs. So my point is, like, a lot of teams that might miss the playoffs are going to be good next year. Um, don't think San Jose. Don't think Houston. Don't think Dallas. Cincinnati might be a little bit better. I mean, Brenner is pretty good, right? Uh, who else? Yeah, I, I think the East is going to be close. I think the West as well, just because if if we're just running off teams that didn't make the playoffs, I mean, both the LA teams didn't, and both are pretty good. If you haven't remember, if you couldn't remember, so uh, obviously Galaxy is coached by Greg Vanny, who's amazing. Loved in Toronto. And, uh, and yeah, so we'll see if both LA teams make the playoffs. I'd say better chance that LAFC misses out and Galaxy is in than vice versa. But, um, but yeah. And one, and, oh, those were the three thoughts. Uh, okay, so those were the three thoughts. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, Truly amazing that you are, you know, taking your time to listen to this, even if you're doing something else. And, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to, instead of articles, I'm trying to focus more on podcasts now. I think they're a very valuable tool to grow. But, yeah, you can still check out my Substack, thomasewitt.substack.com. Yeah, going to be taking a break here over the uh, winter break. So, um... Yeah, we're going to have at least another pod this week. That's that's my goal, at least another pod. But until then, goodbye.